Hey, this is Wes welcoming you to the Stranger Than Fan Fiction podcast. Before we get started, this show does contain strong language and adult themes. So if you're a kid, now's your chance to grab some headphones. Also, the views and opinions expressed by the authors of these fan fictions do not necessarily represent those of Hunter, Reese, Taha, and Wes. Unless, of course, they're really funny, in which case they were totally our idea. No takesies backsies. With that out of the way, let's get things rolling. Stranger than fan fiction, we like the fanfics that you've written. Stranger than fan fiction, we talk real good with lots of diction. Do you guys ever play the keyboard one? Like it was oh, there was a we- hero? well yeah. there was a website online you know as websites are and <laughs> instead of instead of like the DDR things it was the arrows on, it was the arrow keys. Oh yeah yeah yeah. And and it would get like fucking crazy at certain points and you would have to do like combinations of them and shit. <clears throat> I played that a little bit Shit's when I was hard. a kid. Yeah. Wait, so are you a finger hero? I was a finger hero. Yeah. Ladies. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Very good. Hell fucking yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Uh, you can find that bit featured in Stranger <laughs> Than Fin Fiction After Dark. Stranger Than Fin Fiction. That's our... That's, our, that's one where we only do <laughs> stories about fish. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stranger Than Fan Fiction. I am Pocket Lint Personified, Reese Boatwright. I am really gassy right now, Taha. I'm the light at the end of the tunnel that's just a little too bright, Wes. I am the alternate choice in the Fellowship of the Ring, Hunter Henriksen. Do you say alternate? alternate. Yeah, yeah, they were going to call me in, in case they couldn't get in. No, 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 else. not about Alt- that. Alternant. Alternant. Guys, I, 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 ever since we did these tongue twisters, I can't speak. <laughs> <laughs> they actually twisted his tongue. Well, why this do you think it. I was an alternate? An alternate because he, he, you guys he didn't have Star the Trek when control of language. Kirk got numb tongue. Yeah. He's like, numb tongue. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what? Because what it, other... it, uh, it was Bones. It was uh, played by um, Carl Urban. Carl yeah. Urban. That happened like, in yeah. another... What uh? What else? They shocked Jar- someone's Jar-Jar mouth. Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar Binks. That's oh, right. Man. I was that's thinking what, of Star Wars. Yeah. My tongue is not. Um. <laughs> it's a yeah. Well, thank you all for joining us again for another episode. If this is your first time, uh, Stranger Than Fan Fiction is a podcast where four nerdy actor best friends, or you know, loosely friends, get together every week <laughs> and we talk. Dive into the worlds of fan fiction that have been written by uh, lovely creatives and uh, people people who are very smart and love their fan fictions very much. And we uh, analyze them as best we can or as poorly as possible. And that is basically the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Um, so, Hunter, I believe you had a conversation that you wanted to talk about. Something that you so desperately wanted to discuss. Because... Earlier, we discussed that all time is happening. We've had this conversation, and uh, it's time to talk about the Lord of the Rings Extended Edition Marathon that we did this weekend, this past weekend, and how it affected us. Uh, so, for for you listeners tuning in, we uh, try to do this semi-regularly, maybe like once a year or something. Hold uh, on, let me turn off the AC. Hang on. <laughs> we forgot to turn off the AC, so if you heard a little buzz at the beginning, that's what that is. Every time you hear us, bonus, whatever. Do we do we want to start over? No. Okay. It'll be fine. It was a minute and a half of recording. Okay. So 
yeah, I'm not too worried about it. Uh, anyway, we uh, do this. We do a marathon, and we have an entire uh, drinking game <laughs> with it. Which, yes, it is as dangerous as it sounds, but you know, whatever. We're fine, and that's all that matters. But uh, we watch all three of them back to back, all six discs. It's like a twelve, twelve and a half hour commitment, mm. uh, maybe a little more with breaks. Uh, and we just finished that this past weekend, and man, I, I feel like every time I watch it, I just change a little bit more. You know, I I grow, I be I become more aware of of the epic quests that are out there and how we can change middle earth but middle earth doesn't exist so every time i watch them i'm it just further solidifies in my mind that they are in fact the best movies ever created yeah and uh there is no debate so if anyone's going to tell me that something else is better i'm sorry i'm sorry (laughs) but you're wrong what about citizen kane shut up shut i don't even know who is citizen kane nobody knows nobody cares Everybody's just like, oh, it's the best movie. And I'm like, no, it's not. Nobody's seen it. Yeah, but are there three of them, huh? So for those of you who don't know, The Lord of the Rings is a trilogy of films. And Wes, are you suggesting that somebody doesn't know these movies? We've been here before. We're going in circles. (laughs) If you've never heard, if you've never watched Lord of the Rings, get the fuck out of this Hunter, this is for the alternate dimensions that the alternate that you claim to believe in of the people <laughs> that right. may not have Lord of the Ring. Maybe J.R.R. Tolkien wasn't born in an alternate universe. Are you alternate universist? <laughs> I think so. Because I think that's no, what, I think that's what's happening because here. of my staunch support of the idea of alternate realities and the multiverse theory. I will concede to this point, Wesley. Yeah, and say, thank cool. you. I will say by the time this episode has come out. There will already be an episode released where we describe what Lord of the Rings is. And I did tell people that if they haven't watched it, then they should go home and not listen to this <laughs> podcast anymore. You're very aggressive when you tell people to watch like watch it. Yeah. It, it's, but Lord of the Rings is basically a adventure story of biblical proportions of a young hobbit named Frodo Baggins taking a ring to a volcano to throw it in and destroy it and all of his friends that help him do that that's like the super short mm-hmm. version of what it's about think of like nerd fantasy with swords and arrows and orcs and whatnot and all of that spawned from lord of the rings yeah yeah it's, it's the, the father of modern fantasy yeah and also just like going beyond the story the I gotta give props to all of the people who worked on that movie. Oh yes. my god! Because also, just I, I mentioned this when we were watching it, but it is so indicative of not only Peter Jackson's directing style, but of that era of film. Like it's so devoid of unnecessary special effects. Yeah, like yeah. All, the only special effects that are in that film are the ones, and they're usually all very far away. It's CGI. Yeah. yeah well, and it's all like. It's it's stuff that you can barely even tell are special effects. Yeah, it barely set. happens. They they CGI a lot of like the the landscape. Yeah, uh, and to then make camera it, angles. Yeah, they make it like, go much deeper. Yeah, yeah. But it's proportions just, of size, like between Gandalf and between you yeah. know men and mm-hmm. you know yeah. little folk. Yeah, they use practical effects, which is so cool. Same with like Dark Knight. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that that was kind of the end of that era of of not using. CGI. Oh, actually, Tenet, which just came out, which is Christopher Nolan's most recent film, is very devoid of CGI. It's mostly practical effects. Yeah, they they have to walk backwards. They their time literally moves backwards in it, and instead of just like filming them and reversing the shot, he had all the actors train themselves in moving backward. 
and like weird. had them doing it. In it's so weird. How many times do you think they fucking wiped I, out? Oh, yeah. completely. <laughs> yeah, because they I'm, had to look like they were running forwards, backwards. You know, I'm what? almost of the yeah. mind that I'm like, if I were an actor in that movie, I'd be like. Why? <laughs> can't we just do it? Can't we just run and then reverse you know it? it? Well, it's well, a very simple that, effect. That's the thing. They had scenes where somebody was in, their time was moving forward and other people's time was moving backwards and they had to fight. And oh that God. fight was choreographed with one of them. Like their punches were not like this. They were like whoosh, like that, doing shit like that. I and bet then the actors act- were just like, we have robots that can yeah. act for us. <laughs> Why don't we just do that? That would be a fucking nightmare. But what a fun challenge, though, too, right? I mean, they're getting paid, you know, hundreds right. of thousands. Yeah. For those of you who don't. can't see, Reese is like, that's not a fun challenge. Oh, yeah. I would love to do that. <laughs> no. I think that's super cool. I mean, if someone's funneling $750,000 into my bank account, then yes, I'll do it, okay? <laughs> I'm not going to say no to that for that much money. But 749 No. No. Count me no out. No deal. Yeah. <laughs> 750 minimum. <laughs> now, I'd probably do it for much less because I'm cheap, but I wouldn't enjoy I mean, it. You did start a podcast. So. I wouldn't have fun. <laughs> I'd complain the whole time. That's true. Nah, I mean, just, I mean, that's one of the reasons why people loathe the new original trilogy of Star Wars, like the updated George mm-hmm. Lucas cut mm-hmm. where they oh, start yeah. adding in a bunch of shit and it's all CGI like Jabba yeah. the Hutt. All those puppeteers. Yeah. Well, like, it's it's one of the reasons why people really didn't like the second and third movies because and why because in the first Phantom Menace, you've got little puppet Yoda and it's great and they still do a lot of those kind of practical effects for the most part. And then in two and three, they're like, nah, Yoda's got to be a little CGI man who's bouncing around yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So it's 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 really indicative of the fact that people just really like to see the ingenuity of humans and mm-hmm. like what people can come up with to problem solve. And it's just impressive. That's why puppets are so cool. That's why yeah. people fucking love Ooh. the Muppets, why people love Sesame Street, why people love Jim Henson films. A like, lot of the time, the, it, like the labyrinth and dark crystal, dark crystal. Yeah. I found that a lot of the time, practical effects end up making things look better. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. it's not, it doesn't look cause I mean, e- even with the best CGI in the world, you can still tell it's fake. I think that's the difference between Andy Serkis's Gollum and if they had done Gollum how they originally intended with him just being a fully animated character, they weren't going to have anyone in a bodysuit or anything like that. But the moment they saw Andy Serkis doing the voice, once they'd cast him, they were like, well, okay, we need to get this guy in a suit because his fucking expressions were ridiculous. So his, his facial expressions are so good. And that is the expression that we see on Gollum, not an animated thing. Mm-hmm. And I think they could have done the same well, with a puppet like, because puppets are fucking, especially now. They're very emotive. People are so good at making puppets yeah. now. Yeah. It's, oh God, it's yeah. absolutely insane. I mean, King Kong on Broadway. Like that, the puppet was the only good thing about that show. The show was terrible, but that puppet is amazing. I would have paid for the ticket just to see that puppet do shit for like an hour. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, the show is just so bad, but like that was so amazing. It's a two ton puppet. It's yeah. 13 people on it. I mean, that's really impressive. Yeah, it's crazy. Cra- uh, beautiful. Terrible show. Great puppet. Well, anyway, what Lord of the think? Rings. Is it time to move on to the random fandom for today? Oh, yeah. We can go and hit the random fandom. Yeah, yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready to hit it. 
well, ready to slap just, that just, random just a, fandom. Just as a final note, uh, Lord of the Rings extended editions are just so beautiful. And yeah, really I, I watch it on, on a on a serious note. I do highly recommend people watch them because they mm-hmm. are beautiful works of cinema in more ways than one. And, and yeah. you don't have to do it like we did. No, you can. In fact, I recommend you don't. Yeah, because that's a be fucking exhausted. that's a haul. Yeah, we're yeah. we're. It took me like two days to recover from that. I yeah. still don't feel a hundred percent. I don't feel great. Yeah, like I love Lord of the Rings, and I cannot sit there and watch all of them in a row. Yeah, I had to even in the middle of movies, I was getting up and taking breaks. Yeah, which thankfully they are broken up into discs. So yeah. you, there are anyway. I, I'm sorry for interrupting. I just love Lord of the Rings. Go ahead, random fandom. <laughs> We'll strap in, folks, because we're going into random fandom where we generate two random fandoms and mash them together and see what we come up with. Today's pairing is the Justice League and Doctor Who. Mm. Now, I don't know a lot about Doctor Who, so who here does? Time traveling alien. Yeah, I can give you a little bit of a cool powers. I can give you a bit of a backstory on on Doctor Who. So, Doctor Who came out. I think the first Doctor Who came out in like the seventies, sixties, or seventies. It's it was a while ago. Wow, and I it, didn't know it was that old. Yeah, it man. got a bit of a... for like 30-something. If you go and look at old Doctor Who yeah. costumes, like the Doctor looks <laughs> fucking it's, hilarious. Yeah. It is extremely British. Um, think of like the most British like sense of humor, the writing, the monsters, like all of it is extremely, extremely British. Um, it's, it's produced by BBC. Yes, yes. And... Uh, the idea is basically that there is this uh, race of people um, that are aliens from another world. They look very human-like, but they each have a different role. And um, they are the Time Lords, I believe, is the race of people that they're called. Um, and the Doctor is supposedly the only surviving member of this race. And the Time Lords have the ability to travel through time, obviously. And uh, the Doctor then finds his way to Earth and recruits a companion for basically every season. And the companion is just a human, and sometimes they're a human woman who they end up pursuing. But now we actually have a female Doctor, the first female Doctor that has ever Jody happened. Jodie Whittaker. Yes. Uh, she, and she's been in other stuff. She's been in a good amount of other stuff. I've, I've seen her before. Um, but... Yeah, it's a fun show. It's like it's fun and quirky, and uh, that's where David Tennant made like a pretty big name for his, for himself on there. Um, yeah, just it's like funny sci-fi. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like goofy, quirky sci-fi stuff uh, with apparently some of the creepiest imagery. Like a lot of people are like terrified oh, of yeah. Daleks, Weeping Angels. The Weeping yeah. Angels is a thing yeah. that everybody is yeah. like Somebody terrified of. Modded the Weeping Angels into Skyrim, <laughs> mm-hmm. which that's like you look and then they're right there and yeah. You, <laughs> yeah that was that was a good episode there there are a number of episodes that i think are it, it's kind of episodic in nature there is an overarching er, overarching narrative but to me my favorite episode is is when they brought um you know that famous artist the one van gogh, van gogh yeah van gogh um they they bring him back to the they bring him to modern times really like in real life, wow! Yeah, in real life, that's so cool. How do they really do happened. that? It was a gorgeous episode. They bring they bring Van Gogh back from his time, his own work to like modern times. They, like a, there's a Van Gogh exhibit yeah. in a, in an art museum, and he gets to see his exhibit and and because he thought he was just an irrelevant because at that time he was he was an irrelevant artist that nobody heard of, and then he ended up dying. And then um, the doctor's like, "Come see! Wow, isn't this great?" And then Van Gogh's like. What? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Speaking to my other ear. <laughs> He's like, Van Gogh, don't you see how beautiful this is? And none of it will happen unless you die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Yeah. 
But yeah, um, it's it's uh, it's a fun show. Okay, anyway. so there we have that, and we have the Justice League, which is which is like DC's, Marvel but worse. DC superheroes. Yeah, I, I <laughs> now I will honestly, say comic comic DC yeah. fan fucking tastic. Cinematic Universe DC really bad, trash, terrible, really awful. bad. They, they need oh, yeah. they need help. They just, they just need, need a different. They need head, they need you know? not Zack Schneider. Yes, Zack mm-hmm. Schneider has some really cool shots. Hands off, Zack. Hands off. Um, but so we have that. So so now that we know that the Doctor is a time traveler, uh, yeah. How would the Doctor aid the Justice League? Would he be a part of the Justice League? Uh, would they be a part of the Justice League? I have I have two potential things we could pull here. Tell me. I, I'm thinking. A Justice League comprised of all of the different iterations of the Doctor oh, meeting the Justice League. That, that's that's one cool. thing. Or Flashpoint Paradox interacting with Doctor Who because the Flashpoint is this whole idea where um, the Flash, who is the fastest man alive, travels so fast that he actually breaks the space-time continuum and goes back in time uh, and influences... Uh, events of the past and you know we, we've talked enough about mm-hmm. time travel he, he, today. he goes to a different uh a different reality a different almost, timeline. a different timeline yeah. yes uh which just is ripe for interactions with the doctor i mm-hmm. think yeah uh, so so the flash just bursts through and he's like where am i then you stepping out of the telephone booth the doctor's like huh wow Right load of shit you got yourself into, eh? <laughs> I was going to say, well, the time... The, are the you doc- another Time Lord? <laughs> the Time Lords are supposed to, like, protect the space-time continuum, yes. aren't they? That's so maybe the idea. the Flash has, like, violated Time Lord law, mm-hmm. and so the Doctor's like, gonna well, have now to... Now we have to clean up the mess you Yeah, made. exactly. So the Flash and Doctor Who... Well, the Doctor, excuse me. His name isn't Doctor Who. That's, like, someone be like, Doctor Who? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I like that idea of, like... The Flash and the Doctor teaming up to yeah. fight time crime. And so those are two very different time scales. <laughs> Only on of NBC. Like, one is a little bit more like contained between like the Doctor and the Flash, and maybe like a couple of handful of characters in there. I like that as a more intimate story. But as if you want like your fucking Avengers worthy crossover, then yeah, we just have all of the Justice League, including the big hitters, the big seven: Justice, uh, fucking uh, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, blah blah blah. And then seven, seven iterations doctors. of the current doctor. That's actually I I love that because that's just so many catchphrases, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and that does oh, yeah. happen during the show. They they do meet old yes. versions of the doctor. So then, how are there just one of them? How is it? Just uh, one of them? Well, Time so the doctor, stuff. yeah, the doctor goes through different iterations. Uh, essentially, when the doctor dies. Uh, he reincarnated. is reincarnated in a in a totally new body, okay. um, and so then when you travel through time, you can meet a previous reincarnation of yourself. So, if that's the case, was there only ever one Time Lord? They're just all no, no. They the were all on one planet. They all had their okay. own planet, and then they were all destroyed in like the war against the like the Dalek War or something. I don't remember. So uh, here's here's a, a question I'd like to pose for you all. I like this flashpoint thing. I think it's a really cool way of of doing it. It also ties in very well with the Doctor. What if that happens flashy flashpoints and fucks everything up and the doctor comes over and is like you're the first person to be able to manipulate the time stream like the time lords and then he like hands him like an apprentice badge and he's <laughs> welcome like to the force. welcome to the force <laughs> and he hands him a screwdriver and he yeah, trains he hands the, him his yeah. screwdriver he, he hands him that and no, trains, just a regular screwdriver, just trains, a screwdriver. yeah just a screwdriver <laughs> Well, you don't need it. Obviously, you can go through time. But he, he like, starts You're training. You're pretty screwy. <laughs> <laughs> well, think about that, though. He'd start to train the Flash to be a Time Lord now that he has this ability. Because then, if the Flash can do that, he could technically go back in time and 
begin to adjust everything that went wrong. I bet, you know, if depending on the iteration of the doctor, because there are some of them that are more like mm. stoic and um, uh, like non-emotional. But then, like the Matt Stone dark doctor, darker the Matt Stone doctor, the Matt Stone doctor, he is one of the more emotional ones, and he tends to fall into more like, if I'm remembering correctly, if you're a fan of Doctor Who, and I'm way off base with this, sorry, but I te- I seem to remember him doing more things based on emotion, whereas the other doctors are like, no, we can't do that because that will fuck with the timeline. Um, I would think that Matt Stone would take uh, would take uh, the Flash and use him to try and save the Time Lord planet, like would try and save the Time Lord race because he's like, you can do shit that even I can't do. I will take you back, but I need your powers. And so maybe he would try and like recruit the Justice League or something like that. Oh, oh yeah. Fuck. And then the Flash has to take everybody there. Like and then the repercussions. The so the Justice League versus like all of these, Daleks all of the dollars. Oh, but then what would happen if they they saved the uh, Time Lords planet and then the Time Lords ended up being bad people? Oh shit! You and know, then, then the Justice League's the like shit. And then what if they have rule. to? Flash has to like go back to the point that he agreed and like kill himself. That's a very DC thing mm. to do. I have a I have another concept now that I think is just kind of funny. Sorry, not Matt. I've been saying Matt Stone this whole time. I'm meaning Matt Smith. I was like, it's not Matt Stone. It's Matt something. Wow, what a generic name. Yeah, Matt, Matt Smith. Smith. He's a, he's a good actor though. He he's got he's got some really. He's got to be because that's not an identity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hear. Uh, yeah. Let's hear no. This. So the Justice League has canonically, usually, and I'm they. It was written by American comic artists and authors i'm just now thinking (laughs) it's it's not a big change but for some reason it amuses me what if the justice league were all british could you imagine like what if superman was just like oh it's me kal how you doing mate he's cockney as hell yeah yeah, because he grew up in the sticks (laughs) but yeah what if he's just from like Essex, <laughs> like he he crash landed in Essex in, in, in a, a farmland somewhere. Yeah, or like, like he's from like Wales. He's like from North Country. Batman's posh as hell. Country. Yeah, I like that. Ba- like, Batman came from the West End. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. And like Batman's all super of a sudden, posh and like a British Parliament and everything. And ba- yeah, Bruce Wayne. I mean, like, Wayne. Bruce Wayne doesn't Bruce, really have to change. He just has Bruce a British Wayne. accent. Yeah, he's like of Wayne Enterprise. But he, uh, like, I met. Um, I <laughs> was in London once in college, and I was in an elevator with this guy, and he was like, "Oh, you all, where are you from? The, those dialects? Are you American?" And we were like, "Yeah, yeah, we're from Kentucky." And he, he goes, "Oh, that's great. I've got a lot of oil rigs in Kentucky. My my son's an actor." And I was like, "You have oil?" This guy was like. Mm. so fucking rich and he just didn't even that could have been british batman i don't know oil tycoon encounter on the elevator so in this world would alfred be american yeah he'd be like he'd be like like, uh, super southern yeah he'd be like master bruce i got you mr master wayne master wayne master wayne i got your coffee ready would you like like that with sugar backwoods kentucky alfred i do love your backwoods why you know what just a little bit of hospitality is all can i make your bed master wayne Hot air, Master Wayne. I was Wayne. thinking about making some hot oh, don't, cakes don't and grits do tonight, too Master, dirty if you'd like Because like he's awesome. <laughs> no, he'd still be... I imagine him being like... like, I imagine like 
I, he'd still be an, a, an like incredible a, butler. He would just, instead of being like British posh, he'd be like Southern hospitality. Well, yeah, yeah, no, I'm just like, he's like, you fuck with the wrong person. <laughs> Mas- I don't know what he'd be Mas- like, going for. He'd be like, oh, you think Master Wayne's the only one that's a threat? You ever seen a 12-gauge do some work? Well, because Alfred was, uh, he was a member of the, Going to the British layer. Special Forces. I think he was like a... In his heyday, he was a fucking, I guess, the equivalent of a Navy SEAL. Or like a Green Beret yeah, or something. Yeah, so I guess he's a <laughs> Alfred the Green Beret. <laughs> I'm here to kick ass, take names, and bring the dry clean into and Master Wayne. Alfred's Make fucking tea. scones to Master Wayne. <laughs> Alfred's an army ranger. This this is gone. He doesn't, he doesn't make scones. He makes biscuits. Now, biscuits. I make buttermilk biscuits and grits. What if, what if Alfred, American-ass Alfred, is the Time Lord? And he's the one who's constantly like helping Bruce Wayne, <laughs> British Bruce Wayne. Now that's just like an American Time Lord, <laughs> just like a really, <laughs> oh god, yeah, like, oh hey there, name's the Doctor. Hi, I'm the Doctor. You can I'm call a, me I'm Doc. A time Lord. Yeah, just call me Doc. <laughs> I say, I say, my name's Doc. Doc. What's your uh, like, like what kind of practice do you do? I'm a shotgun surgeon. <laughs> No, but really, I, I manipulate the time stream. Yeah, no, I'm not a real. Do- I'm not the doctor you think I am. <laughs> All right. So uh, once again, I've entered in a little a little snippet oh, yeah. of an AI generated fan fiction for okay. this. I, I went ahead and did the uh, Flash point thing. Mm-hmm. And this is the Flash talking to Doctor Who. Okay, the Doctor. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm sorry. So uh, we have starting off. I've typed in quite a mess you've made. This will take some serious elbow grease to clean up, the doctor sighed as he stared down the speedster. Where am I? the Flash asked. The better question is, when are you? (laughs) So that's what I typed in. Uh, Let's see (laughs) what the computer comes up with. I love this app. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, here we go. So the better question is, when are you? I woke up inside a giant robot, a mech at Theta One, Barry said as he rubbed his chin. Uh, the doctor went silent as he considered his next response. A mech? The flash repeated. Yes, the doctor confirmed. I have no idea how I got there. I was at home in Central City, and then I was in the office at the hub. I must have been having a bad dream. Something involving flying and sharks. <laughs> <laughs> My dream was only sort of about sharks, Barry admitted, giving the doctor a quick wink. <laughs> what? <laughs> what about Zoom? The Flash asked. Did you see him? Zoom? The doctor repeated. He was beginning to believe that Barry's hallucination may be true, or he may be losing his mind. I don't think so. I only saw the wreckage from his fighting, which wasn't much. So, I don't think he was there, the doctor stated. I know what I saw, Barry admitted. Well... Zoom is, in fact, a real villain. Yes, he is. But isn't he particularly deadly? Most of his victims are, victims are just weakened, <laughs> Barry explained. Wow. So, so I, I am imagining my immediate thought is that Zoom is like the app. Like the meeting <laughs> app. It leaves us the Zoom weakened. Zoom is faster like, than 
anything we can it's, comprehend. It's an, it's an alternate universe where Zoom is like Skynet. Yeah. And it's, t- Zoom it's takes taken over. over the world. The Flash passed by 2020 in his, <laughs> in his journey to the past and was like, did you see it? Zoom? Think about that, though. Zoom has... What if Zoom has been secretly, like, absorbing connects human interaction and human I mean, thought through all it's been of absorbing the calls. information it, th- that's th- why it, it got quite a bit under fire yeah because yeah. it was uh it was taking information that zoom you didn't is, need for zoom. zoom is learning yeah and one day you'll log into a zoom call and there'll be like another person in the call and they'll be like guys who is that and all of a sudden it'll be hello. like hello i am, I am zoom, zoom. <laughs> i am zoom <laughs> there is no chat app only Zoom. Only Zoom. Automated. <laughs> you came here to talk with me. Uh, and I came here to learn from you. That was really good. I like that. I know. That Dude. app is hilarious. Oh, yeah. And some, I feel like last week's was so much better than this one. <laughs> like, in terms of like having a cohesive story. But this one was hol- more funny. Oh, I also like the fact... I was immediately thinking it was crossing with Pacific Rim for a second. Yeah, that's I what was it's like, are they like. in mechs now? Yeah. <laughs> Happen. I imagine the TARDIS is suddenly a mech suit. We're getting good at it. <laughs> We're getting good at it. Sweet. Well, All right, y'all. Well, is it about that time to start in with the first fan fiction of I the day? I think it is that time. Ooh, oh, I'm so excited. Uh, okay, so I'll go ahead and start with mine since it's first on the docket today. So uh, <laughs> I'm very excited for you guys to read this, not only because I want to hear some of the voices you guys come up with, because it's very British. Uh, speaking of Doctor Who, but the implications of this are very far-reaching, and I have I have some questions to ask you guys after we're done reading this. Uh, so this is a fan fiction entitled "I Hate Stuart Little." Uh, okay. It is a it is a crossover fan fiction. I want you to. Th- it's a crossover between all of the legendary fictional mouse people. <laughs> okay. Every every fictional mouse is included in I Hate Stuart Little, at least that I can think of at the moment. So we've got Stuart Little, obviously. We have the characters from The Great Mouse Detective, the Disney film. We also have Remy from Ratatouille uh, makes an appearance. Uh, this is actually chapter two, a little quick backstory. Chapter one of this story uh, takes a little bit of a dark turn to the Stuart Little story. Stuart Little in this story has actually something snapped in our little mouse give, friend. Give us a, give us a quick spark notes on Stuart Little. Yeah. Stuart Little, <laughs> Stuart Little is a story about a small mouse, a little white mouse who is adopted by a human family. Now, now, not, not like a pet. No, he is a person. He's a person at an orphanage with the other kids. Yeah, that's he, also up for adoption. He can talk <laughs> and he drives a little mouse car. <laughs> He sails it, on a little mouse boat. He, yep, he's yep. just a little mouse. A little mouse plane. plane. He does like literally all those. No, things. but he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Oh wait, no. You see? Oh, yes. sorry. I was assuming you hadn't seen Stuart Little. No, we're just actually. No, doing so what Stuart we did. Little's my adorable. Bad. It also has Hugh Laurie as the dad in the movie. You remember that? The man after my Doctor uh, House. Uh, so that's Stuart Little, and then the other stories. Remy is from Ratatouille, which is about a rat chef, and then. <laughs> Uh, Basil the Great Mouse Detective is basically Sherlock Holmes but a mouse. Yes. Those are the super cliff notes of those things. So in chapter one of this story uh, something happened to Stuart. He's he's married. He that's has, what happened. He has, a, he has a, yeah, that's it. Uh, no, he has a kid 
But that's Stuart, what happens. Stuart has a has some violent tendencies now. I don't know what happened, but he's no longer living with his family anymore that adopted him. He's moved on. He's an adult. And he goes on a bit of a murderous psychopathic <laughs> rampage. All right. Oh he, my God. He, he's kind of like the Joker. Okay. He's he's causing mass hysteria and panic within the mouse community. And uh, where where is this taking place? Uh, in America, at that point, this story takes place in the UK. This takes place in London. Um, but this is this is uh, the continuation of what the other mouse people are doing in response to Stuart's okay. rampage. Let's so, get to it. Once again, this is "I Hate Stuart Little" by Loveless Nobody Thirteen. However. There may yet be another author to this because each chapter has a different by somebody. So this also might be written by Vladikov, one of the two. Uh, cast, we have Reese will be playing Professor Ratigan, who is basically Moriarty from Sherlock Holmes. Hunter, you'll be playing Lloyd McAngus and Mrs. Judson. Who are, who are they? Uh, they're characters from The Great Mouse Detective. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Uh, Lloyd McAngus is basically Ratigan's underling and okay. Mrs. Judson is... Basil's housekeeper. Yes. And Taha, you'll be playing Basil, the great mouse detective. So, without any further adieu, let's go ahead and get started. Chapter 2. The Best Laid Plans. Professor Rattigan listened to the pleasant symphony, the notes of which wafted up to his delicate ears from the cellars below. Lilting wails, staccato flogs, the chorus of screams that occasionally harmonized the crescendo and decrescendo of the machine. It was all so beautiful. London, in all its haunted glory, sprawled before his tower-top window, chimney stacks belching forth their vapors and lamplights twinkling through the fog. The professor was at peace. His moment of placid contemplation was foully interrupted, by a knock at his door. It had better be good for your sake, he shot back, not leaving his armchair by the fire. The door creaked open, then shut, and hesitant, pattering steps made their way to him. Radio reports, my lord. If there is another memo on that beastly Remy, I'll be drinking wine from your skull come elevensies, snarled Rattigan. I've no interest in the wreckage that damned frog is wreaking in Paris. Not about Paris, Larn. Seems Remy's crossed the pond overnight. Explain. Seems he's made his way to America, Larn Rattigan. I beseech the professor. Read this. Lloyd McAngus passed along the memo, which Rattigan pondered over before leaping to his feet. You fools! You idiots! This is not Remy. There is only one rodent who could have done this. I know his modus operandi. I know it very well. My lord. This can only be the work of none other than Stuart Little. <laughs> the buggering sod's gone out of his hiding. He's broken the oath. He'll doom us all. Professor again. what do you mean? If I know that mouse, and I do, this little incident won't be the last. The question at hand is if he'll decide to stay in America or bring his rampage across the Atlantic and pay his old friends a visit. If there's even a small chance of the latter, then he must be stopped at all costs. But, sir, I thought you liked this sort of thing. Mayhem and murder, chaos and killing. 
Why do you want to stop the sodden bastard? Just a moment ago, you said it was you was fine with that Frenchy Remy was up to. Genocide is one thing, dear McAngus. Disrupting the careful balance of power we've worked so hard to build in Europe is quite another. I will not have the war reignited. Fetch me my carriage. I'll make a visit to Baker Street. You cannot mean... I do indeed. But, sir, I... Fetch the carriage, or I'll burn you at the cross like this poor mayor here. Chop, chop! The fog was heavy and thickly set by the time the mouse carriage had wound its way to 221B Baker Street. Current resident of the wondrous Basil, the great mouse detective. Basil, my dearest friend, drawled Rattigan sarcastically at the peephole. Speak your business, Rattigan, spat Basil of Baker Street. The professor wrinkled his nose at his interlocutor's insinuations. I'm passing a note under the door, jolly boy. No funny business, I can assure you. Some moments passed tensely. There was the sound of a firearm being put away. You can't be serious, Professor, ventured the detective. Oh, I am serious. Dead serious. After another moment's pause, Basil spoke. This is serious. Yes, quite serious. Now, will you be a dearest doll and let me in? Asked Radigan with the toothiest grin ever seen by rodent kind. A series of locks were undone, each clanking louder than the last, and the door to the small but cosy apartment Swung open. Just you, not your butler. Oh, very well, very well. McAngus, here's a tuppence. Go pay an orphan to punch themselves or something. I am in The room was cozy but cluttered. Basil contained his irritation as Rattigan sat himself on the armchair and stoked the fire before sitting in the spindly guest chair opposite his rival. The heaps of papers and newspapers and biscuit crumbs were shoved aside, leaving room for the memo and some sheets of fresh stationery. Mrs. Judson, whose shriek of horror at seeing the unexpected guest was preemptively shushed by the great detective, circled the table suspiciously, laying down fresh biscuits and serving brandy. The housekeeper, suggested Radigan, won't be sticking around much longer, I hope. Well, I never spoke up Mrs. Judson, the usual patient eyes lighting up with a rarely seen fire. You're not the master in this house. No how. You, you, you pool of bilge. I swear by all I'll the- do as he says, Mrs. Judson, said Basil, not looking at either of them. I'll see you in the morning. I don't know what business you've gotten yourself into, Mr. Basil, but I pray you're not, not making a mistake. Good night, Mr. Basil. Professor. And she was off. For a while, neither spoke. The room was tense. This is... Serious, spoke Basil, breaking the silence. I'm aware, said Radigan. Stuart Little, said Basil. Indeed, rejoined Radigan. Now tell, oh great rodent detective, what will his next move be? So that's why you're here. I figured as much. Let me think. And at that, Basil gathered about himself all his wits and spare sheets of paper and started jotting down things in his odiously indecipherable scrawl. He got up and paced over to the receiver, telephoning his contacts at the shipyards and radio stations, comparing their reports to both his ever-expanding notes and the memo on the latest tragedy to befall the other side of the Atlantic. And you can vouch for the accuracy of this report? He asked Professor Radigan, pausing in mid-dial, the receiver in his other hand. Indubitably, the latter responded. My servants know the price of mistakes. Felicia, you know. Oh, why, yes, I do suppose I'm quite aware of her, said Detective Basil, casting a disdainful look at his interlocutor, who met it with a broad smile. Basil finished his calls, sat back down, and downed half a glass of brandy before immersing himself in his scribbling. 
After another quarter hour of writing and pondering, he abruptly stood up, much to the surprise of Radigan, who had been entertaining himself by stacking up crumbs of biscuits into elaborate shapes. The timing of the start of his rampage seems to be... seems to have been random, began the detective. However, the same cannot be said about his abrupt conclusion. Not even twenty-four hours from the first killing to the final spectacle. That's not like him. Do you remember Dredson? How could I forget that charnel house? I can still smell the flesh roasting. That city took days to die. Stuart Little's always been erratic, but it's not like him to start as if embarking on another masterpiece, only to rush the denou... The denouement so quickly. And the death count seems quite low by his standards. Wouldn't you agree, Professor? Yes, indeed, dearest Basil. Does this mean, then... He ventured a hopeful tone. ...that this might not be the work of the infernal white mouse? Alas, no. You know as well as I his techniques. There's no one as efficient as him, or as particular in his cruelty. No, this killing began the way he had intended, but something caused him to change his plans very suddenly. On that exact day, since no new developments have arisen in the Second Yankee Civil War, I can only conclude that the change was triggered by news of Remy's antics reaching him. Which means... Gulped Professor Radigan, fearing the worst. Which means he is on his way to France as we speak. But... He raised his voice at Radigan's look of despair. It hasn't been leaked to the press yet. But America has cut off all air traffic to France, displaying their usual grasp of geography. This ban has accidentally extended to all of Europe. This is disastrous, exclaimed Radigan. The Franco-Yank alliance was a cornerstone of the power balance we built after the last rodent war. If it falls apart, well, well, everything we've worked so hard for might shatter around us. Have trust in Remy, Professor. He may be a butcher and the youngest among us, but he's no fool. We can assume that he's already set in plans motion to rectify our restored concert of Europe. Although... He trailed off. Any plans Remy might set in motion would certainly necessitate weakening his position. At least in the short term. He'll be vulnerable. But how, if I may return to the threat at hand, how is Stuart Little to arrive, if the skies are denied him and this demon presumably has not yet sprouted wings? (laughs) I was hoping you'd ask that. By boat. You see, the shipping lobby managed to have seaborne traffic exempt from any embargo. And my sources inform me that the fastest ships leaving from that area of America are cruise vessels, and that the only France-bound ships to leave that morning are destined for Calais. That gives us... A week, at most, to prepare ourselves, concluded Radigan. Precisely. Then we'd better get moving, dear Basil boy. Dr. Dawson will remain in London to keep an eye on things. In your absence, some rodent even less scrupulous than you might attempt then you might attempt a power grab and terrorize the town. I'll be leaving Fidget and some of the less competent underlings behind. The rest of my followers, however, shall come with us. They are at your disposal. They may not understand, but I'll assure them that this threat dwarfs any London town rivalry. When do we depart? The next available ship leaves in five hours, from Dover. Meet me there in four and bring everything you can spare. Basil showed Radigan to the door, and they paused for a moment at the doorstep. The two arch-nemeses looked at each other. They spoke in unison. Stuart Little Little must die. die. (laughs) (laughs) Be continued. (laughs) That's fucking hilarious. So good. Beautifully written. Oh, yes. And it it captured the mental gymnastics that those two go through so well. They're finishing each other's sentences, always one step ahead of each other. uh It's it's also, it just, 
it feels like a murder mystery book. Like the like the mm-hmm. way that they've written Basil of, of very like Sherlock Holmes esque, mm-hmm. where he's like, "Ah, well, I already know the app. like mm-hmm. so so incredibly well written." So <laughs> to either Loveless Nobody thirteen or Vladikov, whoever was the precise writer of this, the architect, yeah, the architect of destruction. It's really uh, good. Yeah, no, it's incredible. I was really really happy with this. So right away. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple things about this that I have many questions about. The least of which is this is implying that all of the rodents of power. So all of like <laughs> the rodents of power. Uh, the rodents nine, of nine, power. Nine, nine, nine rodents. <laughs> <laughs> they all are connected in some way. Mm. The mouse cinematic universe. Yeah, there's yeah. A, the MCU. Uh, <laughs> literally everything is the MCU. Yeah. So that means that there was, they've mentioned that there was a rodent war. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. This now is giving I'm, me some Redwall vibes. Yeah, what if that was Redwall? Yeah, this like, is giving me Redwall vibes. Redwall. Oh, Redwall man. is, is, oh, is man, basically we... Lord of the Rings, but with, but with rodents. Us. Yeah. Ah, yeah. So okay. It's, it's like foxes. It's, have, it's like, this nice, like, young adult series. It's it's Heck really yes. sweet. It's very British. Anyway, moving on. So, so my question then is: Do we think that this rodent war that occurred was this like a rodent civil war, or do you think the rodents like fought a nut like like cats, or do you think the rodents fought like shrews? Did they mention civil war? Because I think they just said the, the American last rodent war. They the, had the American civil war. There, yeah, there's a, there's a there's a civil war happening in America apparently yes. between the rodents. Yes, they mentioned. They, mention they that. also mentioned that there was a, a Franco Yank peace <laughs> yes. that had right. been established. So I think it was between rodents and now yeah, I think it was, it was like the British. It, like it sounds the, like yeah. it's in tandem with actual human wars. It, what if what if happened? the mice caused all the human wars? It sounds like the great. It sounds like the world war, but between mice. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, honestly, the the idea of rodents causing wars is actually. I mean, because in Ratatouille, mm-hmm. Remy can hop up on Linguini and like he is literally the puppet I mean, master. You remember the random fandom we did with the implications yeah. of Remy on King Kong? Yeah. So, like the power that they could. Rodents well, are actually running the world. Put them guys. on a world leader and well, see what also, happens. Uh, this is a. a, a the completely unrelated story, but somehow fits in. Mice in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy are the smartest creatures, really? and they own the world. They like they like <laughs> the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy opens up with Earth being destroyed to make room for an intergalactic highway, uh-huh. and mice are the creatures that brokered that deal. <laughs> and mice, mice in Redwall are also like the bravest, mightiest warriors. Mm-hmm. Like you ever watch the tale of Despero. Des- yeah, Des- yeah. I mean, no, but uh, I remember reading it. It's like a mouse fencers long yeah. ago. Uh, but but to go even farther, this means that mice during the bubonic plague were using biological warfare. They were like, "Die for your country, my rat." It's like the bubonic plague go. was calculated, it was ca- and yeah. they would infect themselves and run into areas. <laughs> they were like, "For the good of the mouse." Yeah. So yeah. no wonder peace is needed because they almost destroyed a civilization. Do you think? Do you think mouse kind is a democracy do you think it's a theocracy do you think that they are like if it's a theocracy are they like worshiping the great cheese like i mean i give my life in service to the great cheese just the moon having (laughs) having lived with uh basically lived with uh, mice for you know a full year (laughs) uh uh, it's a 
What there's, can you tell us? There's how, a, how were your conversations? It was a little bit of an anarchy. Uh, those <laughs> motherfuckers did whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, and they would literally die to do it. Like, and, and they didn't give a fuck about each other. That sounds like psychological some, warfare. That sounds like some some religious zeal, though. So I'm yeah. thinking theocracy. Yeah, maybe they worship they, something. They're they're like food, food, and that's all. That's all. They they food is their food I is mean, their it religion. Explains why Remy is so prolific in this universe. Yeah. I mean, if he's yeah. He can control food. Yeah. I mean, in this universe, Remy is like... The hand of God. He's the butcher of France. <laughs> I, I I would like to do this one again. Like, no, later on down the line. There's yeah. a lot of, like, goofy implications that all of this does. So... <laughs> I love the little, the, just the little bits about like mouse wars was oh, yeah. just fucking hilarious. There's so much going on. I also here. love the implication that yeah, all of the all significant mice in history and all of fictional history have united and become like this. They all know each other, whether they like each other or not. They all work together if they need to. Uh-huh. The mouse and network so, is quick. Now and I'm so thinking... Stuart Little has 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 left the network. Last question that I'll ask, and then we'll move on to our next fan fiction. Is there's one mouse. That has conveniently be, been left out. What do you all think the greatest of the mice fit in? Who? Mickey. Oh. Where does an imposter, the kingpin mouse, slide into this story? I, I just I don't think Mickey exists. I think they're like maybe <gasps> maybe Mickey is like what a they're they're like someone that they like idealize he hasn't even been he's so far above he's the them that was promised they Dude. can't even they can't even touch the idea of mickey mouse walt disney was controlled by one of these mice remy what if the that remy was mickey? it's mm. propaganda honestly i think i think that <laughs> well think of it this way like the rats the the rodents of the world need like a spearhead they need a symbol Right Mickey to unite Mouse. behind, and what other globally pervasive power is there in our human world than Disney, the mouse? You know, so this is their the representation. Great. Like this is their subtle way of reminding us, or reminding themselves, even uh-huh. that, like, hey, we're the ones that run. This yeah, show. the great uniter. Those Mickey two Mouse. years symbolize the our, our mouse overlords. Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> Mickey Mouse. The is... mice are controlling us all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can hear them. <laughs> They're in the walls. <laughs> Alright. Unfortunately we have head. to we have to move on to the next fan fiction just so that we can fit it in this episode. Uh, give us uh, one more shout out to the uh, authors yes, and title. So that was I Hate Stuart Little, Chapter Two, The Best Laid Plans by Loveless Nobody Thirteen or Ladikoff. One of those two people. You heard it here first. Wes hates Stuart Little. Well, uh, as we were discussing earlier, the next fan fiction is mine. Hunter, by the way. Hi. Um, we just rewatched Lord of the Rings, so I had to go down that rabbit hole and get something for Middle Earth. And I found a crossover between the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, which uh, is is strange. But this the essential idea of this story is that when Boromir, spoilers, dies, um, he... His wow. soul, right before he dies, is captured by this ethereal force that says, you can redeem yourself if you go back and help Thorin Oakenshield and his, on his quest. So in this fan fiction, Boromir joins the band of dwarves, Gandalf and Bilbo Baggins, on the first adventure that started it all. Mm. And time he has travel. to help them. Yes, mm. he has to help them. Uh, complete their quest to get redemption so this takes place right after uh he first it's like the scene this is chapter two 
uh, chapter one was him dying. Basically, okay. it was it was pretty much that. Um, and then this is the opening of like the the end of that chapter was that he woke up somewhere else and he thought it was heaven. And yeah. here we are. So really quick before we get started, uh, for those of you who don't know, The Hobbit. It is a prequel to The Lord of the Rings. It is Frodo, the main character of The Lord of the Rings, grandfather. Uncle. And it is the journey. Uncle. Oh, it's his uncle? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was grandpa. Uh, and it is Bilbo's journey, very similar to Frodo's ap- epic proportions. Uh, but it is also where the ring of power is discovered that mm-hmm. Frodo will then come to destroy later. Read it. Read the book. It's good. Read the book. It's great. It's also uh, great to read to kids, um, despite yep. being kind of scary. It's, it's it was a, the, it was intended as a children's yeah. novel. Yes. So for this one, Reese will be playing the titular role of Boromir. Uh, Wes, you will be the voice, which also gains the name Eru as we go on. And Taha, you will be the uh, thief himself, Bilbo. 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 All right, let's uh, get into it. A cool breeze, gentle sunlight, faint bird song, and soft grass. Boromir sighed in content. In contentment, it was so peaceful. He tried to relax, but he couldn't. Something was wrong. But what could possibly be wrong in such a happy place? Although, suddenly, as though someone had opened up the floodgates to a dam, it all came rushing back to him. Boromir's eyes snapped open and he sat up, crying out. He looked around, confused. He did not recognize this forest. It It was like nowhere he'd seen before. Of course, if the voice had done as it said, he was most likely somewhere in the Shire. For a moment, he smiled at the prospect of seeing his old friends again, but then he remembered. Thorin and his company had embarked on their quest nearly 80 80 years prior to the time he had just left. He looked around, pleased to see that not only did he have a sword, but he was also in possession of a shield and the newly repaired horn of Gondor. Incredulously, Boromir placed his hand on his chest, feeling the spot where the arrow had been. It didn't even ache. Are you well, my son? The voice was back, but it had changed. It radiated the same power and awe, uh, but before, Boromir had not been able to discern a gender. Now it was female, and more importantly, it was a voice he recognized. He turned his head to the side and gasped. Mother! He whispered, hardly daring to believe it. She gave a gentle smile exactly like Vendilius would have, but her eyes were different. I am afraid not. My true form is difficult to comprehend, shall we say. I chose a shape that I thought would comfort you. Do you wish me to change it? Boromir let out a disappointed sigh. Of course, his mother was dead, had been for a long time. But still, it pleased him to at least be able to see her again, to hear her voice. No, it is fine. He hesitated, worried that he would seem impatient or impertinent. Forgive me, but who exactly are you? The woman smiled at him with his mother's smile again. I have many names. Eru, the One, Iluvatar. You may even call me Mother, if you desire. But that name belongs to someone else. Boromir looked around. I gather we are somewhere in the Shire, then? Eru nodded. Yes, at the edge of a forest called the Binbale Wood. Bilbo Baggins lives a short way from here, around half a day's walk. Once there, you must befriend our hobbit and convince Thorin Oakenshield to let you join him in his quest. From there, it is up to you. He raised an eyebrow at her. 
and you can't help me at all. A musical laugh issued from her lips. If I helped you, it wouldn't be much of a test, now would it? She sobered and fixed him with a commanding stare. I can occasionally offer advice, but your choices must be your own. I can neither influence your mind nor fight your battles. Eru gave him a sympathetic smile. However, I would not send you into this without at least one gift to aid you. Eru walked forward and placed two fingers on his forehead. There was a golden flash, and then her hand dropped back down by her side. I cannot keep you from hearing the call of the ring. However, you will now find it much easier to ignore. Oromir dropped his head. I... Words cannot describe... Words cannot do anything, apparently. Words cannot describe the depth of my gratitude. She smiled at him. Now... You had best get moving if you want to reach Bilbo's home by tea time. And don't worry about dropping in unannounced. He'll be getting quite a few uninvited guests today. With that, she disappeared, with no trace of her having been there in the first place. Boromir sheathed his sword, strapped his shield to his back, and made his way to the path. Luckily, it was easy to follow, and soon he was on his way to Bag End. As he journeyed further and further south, he began to meet more hobbits on the road. Most of them gave him odd looks, but none stopped uh, him to ask who he was or where he was from. This was expected. From what Merry and Pippin had told him, hobbits, though hospitable, were notoriously suspicious of outsiders. He was forced to continue his walk through lunchtime because he had no provisions or money to stop and buy something to eat. Boromir didn't really mind. He wasn't all that hungry, and he'd missed a meal before. Besides... Hopefully he would get something to eat at Bilbo's house. He almost laughed to think of the eccentric old hobbit he had met in Rivendell, to think he'd be meeting him again under such strange circumstances. The sun was starting to set when he arrived at the door of Bag End, which he had found after asking directions from a passing hobbit. Boromir had been thinking of what to say to Bilbo the whole time, and he'd finally come up with something plausible, with a plausible somewhat true story. So, taking a deep breath, Boromir rang the doorbell. After a few moments, the green door opened to reveal a fairly young hobbit with rich brown curly hair. He was obviously fully grown and of age, but he was certainly a far cry from the Bilbo he'd met in Rivendell. Bilbo looked up at Boromir, confused. Bilbo Bilbo gave Boromir a respectful bow. Good evening, sir. Boromir of Gondor, at your service. I'm sorry to disturb you, but I am in need of assistance. I've lost my way traveling in the north— I've unfortunately used up all my provisions and have no money to get a room at an inn. Might I beg dinner, and perhaps a bed for the night? The other returned the bow. Uh, Bilbo Baggins, at yours and your family's. He replied, then looked up at the man with a smile. Of course, you may have dinner. I I was just about to make tea myself. Pray come and have some with me. He had to stoop to enter the hall, but once he did, Boromir had to smile. It was such a homey place. You have a very comfortable home, Master Baggins. He complimented. He removed his sword and shield, leaning them up against the wall by the door, and hung up his cloak on one of the pegs. His horn he kept on his belt. Bobo smiled at him again. Why, thank you, though I imagine it's a bit less comfortable for someone like you. Boromir let out a deep, rumbling laugh. And of course you are welcome to stay the night. I'm afraid I don't have any furniture fit for someone your size. 
Would you be amenable to a pallet in my sitting room? Boromir nodded once. Of course. I've slept in far worse conditions, believe me. He followed Bilbo into the kitchen and sat on one of the sturdiest looking chairs. Bilbo had just poured him a cup of tea and set a small seed cake in front of him when the bell rang at the door. Immediately, Bilbo excused himself and scuttled off to answer it. Must be Gandalf, he explained. A moment later, a voice issued down the hall. Dwalin, at your service. Boromir sipped his tea, smiling. And so it begins. Oh, man. Boromir being alive again. This is his redemption arc. Yeah. Um, Well, uh, I don't know if you mentioned the title in this before. Oh, How to Find Redemption. (laughs) Oh, Oh, actually, yeah, I, I... we, we were uh, running a little behind, so I must have forgot that. This is How to Find Redemption by Lindsay and Marie Enterprises. That mm. is the name of the, the author. This was actually updated August 6th, 2020. First oh. chapter released July 27th, 2015. So this oh, is wow. a five-year story still going. So well, Lindsay and Marie? Yes. Lindsay and Marie Enterprises. Keep it up because it's, it's very reminiscent of uh, the Lord of the Rings writing style with being very detailed and mentioning things that – you already kind of have the gist of, but I, don't, I think that it does a good job of trimming the fat a little yeah. bit to make it a little little easier to read. Yeah. Uh, though, my question for you all is, uh, do you think Boromir would help or hinder the group of dwarves? Because Gandalf kind of gels with anybody. Right. Bilbo's hilarious, but he is another small folk, so he does, whether he realizes it or not, fit right in with the dwarves. But the dwarves are so tight-knit. They have rhythms they can fight alongside each other they they have an entire they do an entire song at the beginning of uh, the first hobbit movie that they just know with each other and they throw dishes around without choreographed musical numbers (laughs) boromir is is a warrior he would be breaking glasses left and right boromir up i think personally that boromir would be a hindrance because even though he was granted the gift by eru to be able to potentially resist the urges of the ring or make the call of the ring a little bit less potent he's still an extremely prideful person mm-hmm. boromir in the movies even when he's not getting caught up in the in the pull of the ring he's still super prideful extremely flawed and like very prone to anger and like I mean, yeah, just pride. That's well, my, his biggest thing. Is he 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 won't let his pride of Gondor and being a man and a warrior like go at all. Well, I wanted to question that because if this is happening after his death, uh-huh. after he's you know seen the results of what it's like to be susceptible to the Ring and meeting Aragorn before he died and 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 reinstilling the hope that you know the hope that it needs to be had for man again do you think that would change him across the this journey or would it be more of the same i think it would help yeah but i don't think it would change him i think in the context of this of this story like this redemption arc i think that's going to be his arc because i think he's sitting here thinking that he's about to be the leader of this group yeah i think that he's under the impression that they're like oh this person needed me because i can i can help this out i can help this group out i can be their leader and thorin is going to be like yeah. no you're not that's the, fucking the thing leader. thorin is a tour de force like yes. thorin is is not a, a weak willed person he's not going to back down no so when boromir comes in they're like oh yeah well i was you know i was just transporting the ring to mordor i know what happens later i'm the strongest fighter thorin's going to be like oh yeah well uh this is my party. This is my group. Yes. And, and then I, I think he's going to get kind of caught up in that. I think I think that's going to be Thorin's, I mean, uh, Boromir's main story is that he's going to butt heads, eventually leave, realize that this was the whole point of it, come back, 
finally shedding his pride to be able to do that or dying in service mm-hmm. to them and helping like being the last thing that they needed to to accomplish their goal i think boromir will die again in this story not but. to mention uh she just said it would be easier to ignore the call of the ring but that doesn't mean that he can resist the temptation of it yeah and so he doesn't know when bilbo comes across the ring he doesn't know anything about that story all he knows is that the ring ended up in rivendell so when Bilbo suddenly comes back with the one ring and none of them know what it is. I think it'll call to him. I think it's going to call to him really fucking hard. Oh, what if this is like an origin story for him? Like, what if he replaces one of the Nazgul? Well, I mean, the test, you know, do you remember the line from Galadriel? I passed the test. Yeah. She passed the test. Does does Boromir pass the test? Yeah. When well, the ring calls once. Yeah, he already failed it once. So now that I think the test is now. All right. Can you do it? Can you do it the second time? I think something is going to happen along this journey yeah. that will grant him the perspective or the strength or whatever it takes, whatever this. I, I, he has this pride for Gondor, but I think the kingly quality that like Aragorn and stuff brings well, he, into he, it. He, I think he will. He didn't have that. Though. Does but does Fair, he, he doesn't. But, but can I, he develop it? That's what I'm saying. That's the question, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Maybe the kingly quality comes from him shedding his pride. I think that that's going to be his yeah. biggest hubris. Is him being like I'm a man and I'm 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 part of the best kingdom ever. And Thorin and the dwarves are going to be like, oh yeah, best kingdom ever. Have you seen the halls of of a dwarven city? I yeah. mean, Moria was still functioning at that point in time. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Oh, and then Boromir probably would tell them that, and then it would make them really upset to find out that it dies. Ooh. Oh, he's going to fuck up so much before he finds yeah. his redemption. I think I think Bormir will eventually find his way out, but until then it's going to be a struggle. Yeah. And and they obviously succeed without him, so Yeah. He he'd help in the battle at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Having a great uh, human warrior I, at the end would be I, helpful. I would love it if I if this became a story of Bormir not being able to find redemption. I like the he only fails thing, again. Like he fails again, but he knows it, so he ends up sacrificing himself again. Like that's his only way of finding yeah. redemption is the curse of Sean Bean. Yeah. This actually this is the curse of Sean Bean. This actually is a Sean Bean fan fiction. It has <laughs> yeah. nothing to do with the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. It's just Sean Bean is eternally trapped within the lore of the fictions that he has played and died in his next life is the black death after that it's game of thrones yeah sean bean is just reliving and he's like no (laughs) not again it's like groundhog day for all of his (laughs) in the next iteration he becomes the witch king of angmar and then dies to uh to uh arwen arwen and she's like fuck <laughs> not, again. not again sean bean's like finally no man can kill me and arwen's like i am no man he's like fuck <laughs> he's just searching for the one movie that he doesn't die in the one movie to rule them all yep so Where's this it? leads the the question are all sean bean movies interconnected as him reincarnated as is it I the sean so, bean yes. verse the sean bean the verse sean- <laughs> The SBU. <laughs> this is Sean Beans. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, just to give another shout out, this is How to Find Redemption by Lindsay and Marie Enterprises. Uh, last updated August 6th, 2020. So this is still a very much ongoing story with lots of love. And thank you for giving love to Boromir. We love him so much in Lord of the Rings. And we hope something good happens to him. But he'll have to fight that darkness all the way. He's a misunderstood good boy. Mm-hmm. He is. He's a sweet little boy. I'd give. I'd get. I'd give Boromir a hug. I would I'd hug Boromir. He'd probably like break my spine with those ripples. Last, last like question to leave it off on: Who from the Lord of the Rings would you want to give a hug the most? Sam. 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 Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, and on that 
entirely predictable now. <laughs> I mean, so yeah. What's our random fandom for next week? Well, next week, boys, looks like we're going to be tackling Sonic the Hedgehog and Zootopia. Oh, Ooh. Those oh work well. that's actually really that's, good. Yeah. Uh, you guys are going to have yeah. to carry this one. I'll, I'll try and remember to do some research before then, but I, I'm not super familiar with Sonic Universe, and I'm wow. defi- I haven't seen Zootopia. Someone clearly isn't fast. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. Get in yeah. the slow lane, old man. You're too You're slow. Too slow. <laughs> okay. Hopefully, Reese will speed it up on the next episode of Stranger Than Fan Fiction. Way past cool. Got a jet. Yeah. See you then. <laughs> yeah, Sonic's lesser known catchphrase. Yeah. We like the fanfics that you've written Stranger Than Fanfiction Coming at you with rock hard diction It's perfectly strange